Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westman demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley, and today we're discussing a very special movie from 2022, Armageddon. No, Armageddon time. Armageddon. Time. I wanted to close my eyes. I wanted to <laughs> fall asleep, so I missed this movie. Wait, what? Oh. Because oh. it wasn't about a thing. Ah, so let's just get into it. So just before we press record, you asked me, because you, I watched this movie and then Iris didn't watch this movie by the deadline, so it sat for a whole weekend. And I texted her, I don't recommend you sitting on this one. Yeah. What exactly did that mean? Your track record with movies like Living and certain other movies, if it's, le- let's let's say, less than engaging, we have a real problem getting through it. I was worried that you were going to sit on this one and it would just never get finished. And I had to sit through it, so you have to sit through it so we can record it. Oh, so basically after I had recommended it and you sat through it, you were like, you're not getting out of this one? Yes. <laughs> Ah, so you loved it. I was reading through my notes. I take notes just, you know, so I can make salient points when we record. I don't remember half of them. I don't remember why I wrote them down. This movie flitted from my mind. So obviously Armageddon time is set in 1980, a time of great political, socio-political change, I guess, in America, really around the time of Reagan's inauguration and his ele- the election. And it's about, it's a, I guess it's a coming of age story about a young Jewish boy and the friend that he makes in school. And if I were that kid, because this is based on James Gray's real life, and he's directed a number of movies, way more entertaining than this movie. And, and if I was like, hey, to my friend or whatever, Remember that time in 1980 when Reagan was going to be elected? And he'd be like, yeah. Remember that time we stole a, like a computer from the school? He'd be like, yeah. <laughs> you remember what we did right after that? No. You remember Remember that whole, that whole month was crazy. We should make a movie about it. I don't remember. What did we do? Uh, I don't think you did a whole lot of anything, basically. I think is the point. The whole point, I think, is that things happen to him and he doesn't understand the significance of the upheaval in his life. He doesn't understand that everybody's horrible, everybody's racist, that he lives something of a privileged existence, even though he has, you know, his own little issues going on. Uh, And things are happening around him that don't necessarily affect him directly, but will affect the course, the trajectory of his life. But he doesn't know that. And if that is the case, which I think it's supposed to be, th- those changes are a little bit lost on me, too. Like what? I mean, there were a whole lot of things that I thought this movie was driving to. 
you know, as a kid who was, you know, a little bit younger than this kid, but I was four years old in 1980. So I grew up in the 80s, at least as a child, remembering stuff. And for him, you know, he's about 10 years too late for the Beatles. The Beatles never even made it to the 70s. They broke up in 69. And in 1980, he's going to face John Lennon being murdered basically in his backyard. And that's going to change the course of his life. And it's going to play into this theme that Armageddon is around the corner. It's a lurking threat. It's part of their daily lives when they have to do drills at school, which they didn't do, by the way. They talk about the threat of nuclear annihilation, and it's just never present in this movie. I mean, what was the the vague allusion to the rockets or something? Or, you know, we didn't get John Lennon. We got Grandpa kicking the bucket, which grandpas do, I'm sorry to say. But I was I sat down for this movie and I was like, OK, this is going to be the Oscar like black sheep, the one that didn't get any attention. And like you with Cocaine Bear, I wanted to sit down <laughs> with this movie with a big bowl of Ching Chong Cho food and just enjoy oh, wow. my Friday. Dumplings. Couldn't get enough of those dumplings. Well, apparently you can get enough of those dumplings because DoorDash was in effect in 1980. Yeah. What was that all about? I think Who's that's a... delivering dumplings? Like that's just like their go-to. They just pull up the app. I think that must and... have been like a New York neighborhood, like bodega thing. Right. You just hit the button to, to automatically reorder and then they show up at your door. <laughs> But man, Uh, it astounds me. I was listening to some interviews and stuff and doing my best to kind of keep up and catch up with this movie and re-familiarize myself. And I was shocked when James Gray, uh, interviewer, brought up the inevitable comparison to The Fablemans. And he's like, oh, I haven't seen that movie yet. You know, it's amazing. A guy like Spielberg, who knows how to point the camera, would make a movie thematically similar. I can't wait to see it. It's going to be different. It's got to be because of our different experiences or whatever. He hadn't seen it. And I don't see how that's possible. I feel like this is the this makes the, the Fablemans look like The Matrix. And it would be the same material, right? It's a, co- a contest where you have material or a subject and then you make a movie about it. And how Fableman's like soars and James Gray's is all boring. <laughs> and maybe it's because it has a, this like sexy kind of exciting title, but then nothing happens. I guess. Whereas the Fableman's is just, you know, get it about storytelling. Armageddon Time is the most exciting thing about this movie and the title logo. Let's back up for a second. So you say that James Gray has directed arguably better movies. What are those movies? Uh, well, Ad Astra? I mean, come you on. mean Bad Astra? <laughs> the Lost City. Not Lost City of Z? Yeah, Lost City of Z, sorry. Oh, Lost City of Z was also boring. I bought Dad that book because he was all jazzed about the real guy, and the book and the movie were boring. And that had Spider-Man mm. in He's worked with Spidey. He's worked with Brad Pitt. So you're saying you think he's got it in him, but... Armageddon time doesn't deliver. This guy's directed other movies where he knows what a narrative push is, a narrative thrust. And this one just didn't seem to have it. There were so many things that were set up that never panned out. This is clearly a coming of age story. What are coming of age stories supposed to deliver on? Uh, They are supposed to deliver on the nostalgia, number one, the feel where we can identify with that kid and the things that he's doing that he knows are wrong are still relatable and still make him likable because you can see the motivation behind it. He wants to get his repressed artist friend to Florida where he can where they can both thrive and flourish. I don't know that anything necessarily was terrible about his home life, but he seemed to be ready to leave it all behind. And these uh, things that are happening that are not the smartest thing we go through. It's why we come of age. It's why we go through the trials and tribulations, the rites of passage. 
it's painful sometimes and difficult. And hopefully, if a lesson is to be learned, there's a moral redemption. We're supposed to look fondly on how tough it is to grow up and relate to it ourselves. What are some of the best coming of age stories? Uh, Stand by me, for sure. At least for kids of approximately this age who do things, you know, kind of in spite of their parents' best wishes you know he should go to a private school you know but no that's where his friends are in the public school and it's where he gets to learn about the sugar hill gang this was stand by me but they don't go anywhere and there's nobody and the parents are awfully involved i mean in stephen king stories the parents are pretty much nowhere to be seen or they're terrible horrible people who really deserve to be uh yeah separated from right and the parents are awfully involved in armageddon time and they've got their foibles and their their issues for sure and they have their own problems, which we we get glimpses of around corners and stuff like that. And it's hard, like you said, to lose grandpa, but it happens. Interestingly, I think a lot of coming-of-age stories are about loss of innocence, whereas in Armageddon time, our protagonist seems to maintain his innocence almost through the end. That's because nothing happens to him. He almost gets arrested. Oh, almost? You know how many times I've almost <laughs> been arrested and or been arrested? <laughs> Well, you've actually legit been arrested? Yeah. I have a lifetime ban against me from Target. I'm not allowed to ever enter Target again as long as I live because I stole a video game for the Sega Master System when I was 13 years old. That's not true. You've been in Targets. Oh, so you, I've been you in Target lots. constantly break your parole. I don't know if I'm on a list. This was before social media, so I can't be posted worldwide on the Target offenders website or whatever. Right. In the back offices and the and the workers' break rooms. Oh, the dudes that arrested me, they were all like middle-aged uh, like dads or whatever now. And they were probably like, we, I don't want to see you around here again. But he told me, you're not allowed to come into Target ever again. And I was like, okay. You're saying you have a rap. A rap sheet? You're so hardcore. Yes. Yeah, I definitely don't have a rap, but I, I may have a rap sheet. But again, when you're 13, I don't know. It was pre-9-11. Uh, domestic terrorism wasn't as much a thing. People didn't latch onto it. It didn't spread far and wide your notoriety when you were a bad kid. And so I think it was more, It was none of it's really on paper. Hmm. I don't have a record. But like Paul Graff, do you just remain a sweetheart? I am a sweetheart, don't you think? Uh, I mean, that's kind of more of a Kelly question, but... I know that this is not it's not Stephen King necessarily. I was referring to Rob Reiner's Stand By Me movie, which, which we think is great. But this was like it without Pennywise. It was just like some kids doing some stuff and going through the process. <laughs> Maybe Pennywise was like the lurking like nuclear threat or like the horrible inevitability of going to private school yeah but nothing ever happens no no, no one was nuclearly annihilated thank goodness um well johnny davis has it pretty hard his toes are bloody and stuff that sucks oh johnny poor johnny he is the happiest smilingest oppressed black kid i've ever seen he really was He's like so such smiley. such a sweetheart but he was rebellious and confident like when turkey no yeah, Turkey. Yeah, Turkletob. Yeah, when he, he takes F.U. Turkey pretty well. The guy, he was like, come sit up here. And that's all that happens. Yeah, you weren't allowed to rough kids up, even in the 80s. Yeah, well, I don't know if that's true. It definitely happens, but maybe we just didn't hear about it because YouTube wasn't a thing yet. Or whatever the kids <laughs> are watching, teachers rough their uh... kids, rough the kids up on these days. The TikToks or whatever. Moral of this story is that social media changed everything? Yeah, I guess so. But obviously, we, I joke that he's smiling, but he was definitely a repressed kid with bad things going on. I expected at any moment that Johnny was going to be knifed like Chris Chambers. Oh, You didn't geez. think that? Uh, I think you were just ex expecting something 
dramatic to happen. And that's the problem. The anticipation of the title, and I was like, oh, they're skipping school. Now stuff's going to happen. And they get on the subway, and they meet the hoods, and they're like, oh, now stuff's going to happen, and nothing happened. What did he do? Mm. He, like, swore at him and then got off at the next stop or whatever? Yeah, he was just kind of sullen and was like, it's not you, Graf. Peace. <sighs> and again, needing to have something to latch on to where you're like, oh, I totally did a thing like that. And it was just like that and the consequences or whatever. And then I got out of it doing this or whatever. It wasn't. Turkey may be not a good teacher, but there's no world where those kids can leave a field trip mid-city and not start a manhunt. Like they just pieced out and then the next day that, and then later on, how was your day or whatever? And then the next day they're at school is no big deal. They just left. If anything, there had to be accountability of the teacher for the kids. And there, there was nothing. It was, I don't know, dude. It was pretty unrealistic. 80s was like Wild West, but why? what was unrealistic to me was how Turkletob could possibly miss his two troublemakers. Like the fact that they were gone. Right. Because it's not them getting in trouble for their safety necessarily. If you know their ne'er-do-wells, you do it. You watch them diligently. You assign an assistant or whatever to help cover your ass. You're in trouble and you're liable if those kids slip away. Also, Paul was really into the art at that museum. And I'm, I was surprised that he so willingly just cut the field trip considering that he had bankrolled it and seemed pretty interested. No, he was interested. As a matter of fact, in all of the art around it. Yeah, he took a mental picture of the art that he wanted to emulate, and he was done. He pieced out. All right, so that was enough. I guess so. But you're latching on to the art, too, because I guess that kid was an artist, right? The whole point is that he was the artist who grew up to be James Gray or something, right? And that's when Kelly Ray spoke up and was like, oh, this is the Fablemans because he's an artist and he doesn't really understand and is going through the pains of adolescence. But he's also going to be it's all going to be. Does he have to pay attention in school? Not necessarily, because he's going to be an artist and the art will save him. But I didn't care. Did you think his art was good? Did you see like, oh, the redemption is that he's going to be an artist? None of that mattered. He, it never came to fruition. The, the teachers all hated his art. He never really continued it in any meaningful fashion. He never got to meet David Lynch or what's his name? Oh, right. Did you get the sense that this was an artist in the making movie? Um, when Hold on, I have to figure this out now. Who did David Lynch play? He was the searchers, Ford, John Ford. That's right. Um, I really expected Turkey would be like, hmm, that's actually pretty good. Like he could, you know, the guy takes so much crap from his kids. I think that he could appreciate if there was actually a good caricature made of him. But no, he hated it. The one teacher chick did enjoy his rocket, like saw the color, his color choice value or whatever, and then posted it in the school. I'm not sure how Paul Graf knew that his poster was going to be posted in the school and why he went wandering off into the into the hallways. when. Wait, he had... that was real? Yeah. That wasn't an Aronofsky style fantasy? Like, because he had the Aronofsky nightmare, and I thought it was like a daydream. Where he goes wandering into the hallway and sees his art on display. I guess he did have a couple of fantasies. Sure, it might be an artist's coming-of-age story. I think it was Two Dreamers. I think Two Dreamers is probably a little bit more accurate, right? Because they both had their dream, and they both saw they both saw Florida as the promised land in which to enact their dreams. I felt like this movie set up a lot of things that didn't pay off. This idea that he, that nightmarish sort of fantasy sequences would be introduced. And then there was only that one. And that's why the thought that he was in the middle of some Nightmare on Elm Street style dream that he would wake up from, you know, where nuclear annihilation, the threats have entered his psyche and they're confusing him or whatever. And he has an artist's mind. So he's like wildly erratic. And uh, 
imagines scenarios that aren't aren't really happening in life like his art is prominently displayed in the cool in the school corridors or whatever he had no reason to go wandering the corridors of the school they were on a mission to steal the computer and he inexplicably goes wandering off and johnny says it himself he's like what are you doing right that was the most action-packed sequence in the movie and it took forever and i was like what are you doing this should have just been like a procedural smash and grab yeah Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So... Does the pawn shop guy call Johnny in because Johnny's black? Was that the point of that sequence? Like if Paul had gone in with the computer, would he not have gotten called in? There was something I could hear in the mumbling that it checked out. Like, yeah, this is that computer or whatever. We heard about the thing at the school or something like that. Or there was some idea. I didn't get the sense that it was just because he was black and a little kid. And where could he possibly have gotten this computer? But I could be wrong. I mean, it seemed like Johnny had some kind of offense, but no, he went straight to the pawn shop. He claimed to have some kind of special relationship with this pawn guy. He trusts me. Was that all just lip service and like bravado, like little kid bravado? Yeah, I think it had to be. I think he was fulfilling the purpose that enabled them to commit the crime jointly and justify his bus ticket to Florida. This movie was like, not Midnight Cowboy, it was like Lunchtime Cowboy. Oh, <laughs> At one point, he was haunted by a ghost, and still nothing happens. Oh, you mean because Anthony Hopkins reappears at the end? Anthony Hopkins reappears, sits on his bed, says nothing of consequence, and then pieces out again. What do you mean nothing of consequence? This is what I wanted to talk about with you. The So Anthony Hopkins' parting wisdom was, you got to stick up for those against those bastards, right? And, you know, Paul ostensibly tries... Right. In the investigation room or whatever, the interrogation room. And then he but he ultimately kind of fails. And then Anthony Hopkins reappears to be like, eh, how was that? Yeah, it didn't go <laughs> right? so great. Well, you know, keep on trying because it's really hard. Do your thing, even though you're never going to see Johnny again and you're going to go off to an ambiguous career that may or may not involve art. Nothing happened. He was haunted for no reason. <laughs> he was haunted. <laughs> I, I was very perplexed because it felt like the moral of the story was you're going to fight and you're probably going to lose, but at least try. Like try to fight the injustices of the world. Try to overcome racism, even though it's a power. It's a power greater than you than yourself. <laughs> That's what I was taken away from. I, honestly, I thought we were going to just go into this review and talk about Jeremy Strong for, you know, 30 minutes. Requiem for a daydream. I, I really don't know what Requiem for a Dream is about. Oh, man. So they're ready to steal the computer. And I was like, finally, they're going to get shot or something. And he's like, we're close, man. It's going to work out. And I'm like, oh, that means it's not. You're all smiling yep. and it's all great. And then, then it worked out fine. They got away with the <laughs> thing and they got to the pawn shop or whatever. And then it went bad. But it worked out fine for the Jewish kid. He was fine. Never saw the kid again. And look, based on James Gray's real life he did steal a computer from the school and his friend did get in trouble took the fall and then he never saw that kid again 
in real oh, life. So it's real he life. never saw the kid again. And then he heard, like Chris Chambers, that that friend actually did die in like no. the late 80s. No. It was a, he died in a drug deal. I don't know that he was stabbed, but he no. died in a drug deal. About 10 years later, he heard. Never saw the kid again. Went to his like Jewish private school or whatever and, and became oh. an artist, technically speaking. Oh. I'm saying, man. Cringe. I wonder if, if the Gen Zs, if they really think that jeremy strong is the the whole family is abusive or unusual i mean like you said wild west in the 80s now was pretty spot on right i mean that's how families were oh yeah i mean you're talking about like probably more intact than families were but yeah like typical dysfunction like mom tattling to dad the dad tattle fear that's real and she's like you wait till i tell dad and you're like oh my god Oh, and then dad beating you in the bathtub? Right, exactly. That's legit. It's legit, exactly. <laughs> I distinctly remember you getting beaten up in the bathtub. <laughs> really? I must have blocked yeah, that. Yeah, you don't out. remember that? No, I think I think I was I had head trauma and that that memory was a was a victim. He like intimidation yelled you back into the bathtub, smacked you a good one and then you like kind of sat in the tub and cried for a while. It was awful. And look at me today, a podcast artist. <laughs> and and my favorite part about Jeremy Strong is Kelly Ray was like, Dad looks like a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he had a Dahmer look about him, for sure. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of family dynamics going on. And I think what makes Armageddon Time kind of touching is that even, despite all of the dysfunction, there's a lot of love in that family. And I think if there is a theme for this movie, it's that it's that the love that his family did have kind of created this little bubble around Paul and enabled him to kind of get past some of the trials and tribulations of adolescence and ultimately, you know, maybe gave him the power he needed to pursue his lifelong dreams of being an artist. I don't know. Yeah. It seemed like despite all of the, the beatings and stuff, he had grandpa and grandpa was pretty cool and he liked grandpa. But your loving family members aren't enough to save you from the looming Voldemort specter of Armageddon. You go out into the world, your family can't help you. They're there to nurse your wounds when you come home and you had a bad day or whatever. This was like a racist, magicless Harry Potter. Oh, God. I don't know what Harry Potter is without magic. Is it just Exa like a... Exactly! <laughs> without magic, it's going to school and being picked on by the teachers or the students uh... or both. Didn't you think that there were, like, the score, there were weird horror themes, right? Like, you were waiting for something to happen? I think that was the problem. I guess to evoke the sense of impending nuclear annihilation being an inevitability, you're just waiting for something to happen in Armageddon time. It's about time for Armageddon, and it never comes. Okay, well, all of these actors take these roles pretty seriously. I mean, Jeremy Strong always does, but Anne Hathaway seemed pretty committed. Anthony Hopkins was kind of Anthony Hopkinsy, but he was like, he was showing up with his good grandpa vibes thing, yep. doing his little jigs and singing his little jingles. Everybody in the house was great. I don't know why they were there. Unfortunately, the movie happens outside of the house and hangs on the shoulders of this kid or those two kids. And while they were fine, it wasn't enough. I was shocked that Anne Hathaway played another thankless uh, beset-upon-mom role like she did in Dark Waters and just kind of where nothing happens to her and she just kind of looks sad and cooks in her apron or whatever. And then even Jessica Chastain showed up at the boring picnic and was boring and then was gone. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> she, she was very committed as Trump's 
as Trump's daughter. It was there was something socio-political going on at that rally thing, saying like even you can become anything you want to be as long as you're privileged and Jewish or something. Yeah, private school ethos. Was that supposed to be in contrast to Johnny's experience? The problem is we never really get a ton of Johnny's experience. At the near the end, we see grandma in bed and we we've known that Johnny has been kind of like grandma's caretaker and that he's a good kid and all that kind of stuff. A good kid, a lot of adversity, but we don't really see Johnny's story at play. You know, he's kind of a function of Paul and a lot of times Paul is kind of shrugging Johnny off, which is unfortunate. The story is not about their commitment to each other as friends, per se. No, but it's a real element of friendship when you're that age. People come and go and you think they're the most important people and you think you're going to be friends forever. And then Vern works at the lumberyard and Teddy's doing odd jobs around Castle Rock and you don't see those guys and you really don't talk to them. And you look at each other in the hallway and one time we had this experience at the Royal River on the back Harlow Road. And that's significant and meaningful to us because we've replayed it a million times. And those dudes, those characters don't really remember that as being the most significant. I've never spoken of it until this moment. Never told the guys about the deer. He probably hadn't thought about that deer in 30 years. And so why does Stand By, why does a coming of age movie like Stand By Me work in Armageddon Time doesn't? Uh, I think just four disparate kind of personalities coming together and they're thrown together because they're kids. Uh, The fact that they stood by each other, they stood by them and tried to do the right thing, even while doing entirely the wrong thing with guns and dead bodies and, and hoods and, you know, and leeches. I don't know. I didn't really identify with any of those characters either. I just, it was a different time and a time well before my time. But looking back on my childhood, I'm probably older than Richard Dreyfuss was when he's, you know, like a pensive sort of reflective writer and his kids are bitching about going to the pool. (laughs) So looking back on the 80s is akin to him looking back at the Rock and Robin 50s. And so this should have been resonant for you, but maybe it was just worlds apart set in New York. There were certain elements that were resonant. The problem is those moments, in had they, they been my, my childhood, wouldn't have been memorable. And this movie, unfortunately, as a result, was not memorable. I mean, it, of course, it was obviously racist in a kind of clueless way in the 80s, but he was a standing up F.U. Turkey kind of kid, and he did fail the sixth grade. And that doesn't mean that he didn't have promise, but on paper, he was a bad kid. Yeah, Johnny. And was treated as a bad kid. Right. But you're saying that wasn't all racism? I mean, wasn't his bad performance a product of being picked on or picked out? I don't know. I'm just saying that Turkey wasn't out to get him or something. He was annoyed that he had to be be with him for a repeat of sixth grade. Johnny's whole bent was that no one was looking out for him except for himself, that he had to do that. And whereas Paul, like I said, had all of this love surrounding him and protecting him and supporting him and, and all of this kind of systematic support as well being, you know, white and privileged but then also it wasn't all awesome for paul because he also had his own historic jewish racist past like you know grandpa telling him not to forget where he came from and all the things that his ma had to overcome his ma seeing her parents murdered before her eyes when she was 16 that's all for us what's his nuts the jewish kid didn't retain any of that you don't think so i'm saying you don't think it was like his means he was like grounds to like relate to johnny and 
systematic like racism and oppression? I have a mild fascination with what happened to dad's parents, right? They were relocated to the Japanese internment camps in the middle of the war, and that changed the course of their lives and subsequently our lives generations later. But that's nothing I cared about until I was adult. I was like, buffet at the Heart Mountain reunion? That sounds like the bomb. I didn't care about the plight. Maybe it stuck with him in a way that James Gray examines the stuff, the horrible stuff that his grandpa told him that one afternoon in 1980. But I'm not sure that it stuck or changed the course of the kid's life, especially not during the course of the movie. He was like, Grandpa died. It's sad. And Grandpa's like, well, you muck that up, kid. Try not to let it muck you up. And he was like, okay. And then never rescued Johnny, was not the white savior of this movie or anything. And it was just kind of like, Anthony Hopkins showed up. He's like, hey, I've got one more day on my contract. Plus, they're serving salmon at lunch at the catering. I want to come on. And they're like, well, we'll, we'll do a ghost scene for you. What are you going to say? I don't know. I'm going to tell them more wisdom. Did you or did you not think that Jeremy Strong was going to have a heart attack at that awkward Jewish dinner? They were like, what's wrong, Dad? And he's like spluttering and stuff. And I was like, here it comes. And then it didn't come. <laughs> I know. I more like expected Irving to like bring out a wrench and destroy some plumbing or take it out <laughs> on Paul or something. Like I definitely expected like a psycho outburst. Dads do that too. Because he was, he seemed to be under a lot of stress and apparently they couldn't afford private school. And they had chosen, they had already chosen their older elder son as being more promising and deserving of private school. And now that grandpa was out of the picture, you know, it was really questionable whether Paul was deserving. He was a slow kid. Why the hell would they think that Graf was slow? They're going to put him in remedial classes. And Anne Hathaway's like, my son is not. Like, she almost boned him, Forrest Gump style, to keep the kid in normal classes. <laughs> like Sally Field? Right. Is there Mr. Gump? Ms. Gump? He's on vacation. Yeah. There's no real resolution for Esther and Irving Graf. I think they're going to continue their plight and their struggle throughout the 80s and until they get both of those boys out of the house. Troublemakers or not, you know, Paul ostensibly has this promising artist's career and maybe that's um, the way James Gray sees his trajectory and how it all turned out for him. It's unfortunate about Johnny. I think there's more weight. There would have been more weight had there been some kind of VO to talk about his fate but i guess that's some weird behind the scenes stuff that somehow brings more meaning to armageddon time but ultimately this was a vehicle for like a delightful jolly anthony hopkins performance and uh, and some more you know jeremy strong method acting (laughs) identity diffusion performances and uh, i like jeremy strong but uh maybe not enough to give armageddon time a good I likewise will give Armageddon Time, using my very carefully curated rating system, a boring. Oh, so we're in line on that. Boring. Give like me capital something. B, like boring. Make me care about this freaking movie. Oh my God, that was so Amy the way you just did that. Uh, so that's official? Yes. Sorry. I'm sure there were themes and I'm sure that James Gray and his parents and family loved it. And RIP to the kid who inspired Johnny. Kind of some interesting characters, some interesting and very committed performances, but a story that kind of uh, meanders and unfortunately doesn't amount to much. And that's our discussion on Armageddon Time, available on Peacock. And 200 plus other discussions available at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please let us know what you think, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. And... 
We'll see you next time. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So keep listening to Electricast podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electricast.